Pray for me this morning that the Lord would bless me to speak what honors Him and also what He would have me to speak on. But my thoughts are settled on this topic this morning. A body, a bride, and a family. And I speak of this specifically in reference to the church of God, which is what you are as a local visible body of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. A body, a bride, and a family. And if the Lord will bless this morning, I hope to show how those I believe are in the correct order as I'm speaking them to you, and also how they flow together, and hopefully how they apply still today, almost 2,000 years after Christ was here, how they apply to us as a functioning body, as a functioning part of the bride of Christ, as a functioning family of God. And I pondered which place to go regarding the body because there's so many references in the New Testament where the Lord compares His church to a body. I mean, there are places where He specifically says, the church which is His body. So this is not some kind of a stretch to you know type and shadow kind of stretch thing this is specifically what the lord refers to in the new testament the church is his body and in the book of romans the 12th chapter it talks about the function and also in first corinthians 12 the function of that body you know different body parts and how they function together ephesians the first chapter speaks about the position of the body Ephesians, the fourth chapter, talks about the interaction of the body and how it works together to grow. Colossians, the first chapter, talks about the authority of Christ over the body. But I have settled on Ephesians, the fifth chapter, because it really gives us something special about the body of Christ. And it ties in to the bride and also to the family of God. So it's something special that we read about in Ephesians 5. So let's begin reading in verse 23. And I'm going to skip a few verses just so we can focus on the supernatural aspect of the body of Christ. Now if you'll notice here in Ephesians 5 and 23, he's comparing the marriage relationship to Christ and His church. So verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as... And I want you to focus on this part. Christ is the head of the church. Now think about that in terms of a body. (laughs) You know, your head that sits on top of your shoulders is the commanding center of the body. And Christ is the head, the commanding center of the body. You understand, this is not my church. This is not your church. This is not some playground where you come and just... You know, do whatever you want to do. No, we get our orders. We get our direction. We get our directive from the head, which is Christ. So he says, Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. He compares the wife to the church, you see, and the husband is compared to Christ. He is the husband. Now watch what he says In verse 25, husbands love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, the body, and gave himself for the body. Why? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, 
that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, a glorious body, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now I want to read these next few verses, but notice what the emphasis is on from the Holy Spirit. As the Apostle Paul tells you, you know, he's talking about a husband and wife being married, but he's also talking about the mystery of how the church of God, the body of Christ, is something special. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. You might say there, Christ loves his church like he loves himself. You see? For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Christ does not hate his own flesh. But Christ nourisheth and cherisheth his flesh, the body, the church, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body. See, he's talking about Christ. We are members of the body of Christ, of his flesh and of his bones. You know, that sounds like Genesis, the second chapter, where Adam said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh in the first marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. You see, the Apostle Paul is trying to give an elevated view of the marriage relationship by comparing it to the church of God, the body of Christ, and the husband of the body, which is Christ. Now, I don't want this to be something that's untouchable. I want to bring it back down to the glory of the body. So let's talk about the glory of the body. And I speak of the human body. You know, the human body is amazing. I was reading some facts about the body. And there's a lot of things about the human body that are different than you know, the animal world. One of the things I thought was interesting is that the only known form of life that blushes are humans. You know, animals don't blush, but humans blush. Listen to these facts, these amazing facts about the actual physical body, which remember, who created the body? It's the Lord. If you laid end to end an adult's blood vessels, you know, if you're an adult and you have blood vessels, and if you could take out your blood vessels and lay them end to end, one after the other, it would circle the equator four times. You hear that? What you got inside your body is so strung out and lengthy. Your blood vessels, if you're an adult, it would circle the equator four times. The information that runs along your nerves from the head, from the brain, is running at about 400 kilometers per hour right now. For me to speak to you, that makes me a little bit dizzy. I get motion sickness. I think, what? <laughs> I've got something running through me multiple again and again over and over you know the the neurons or whatever in my brain are firing and telling me to speak to you the words that I'm forming and and all of that and the motions of my hand the motions of my hands is moving at 400 kilometers an hour within me right now now and if, if, that's if you're awake and <laughs> you know if you're asleep god forbid right now <laughs> you know, actually your brain activity increases. <laughs> There's evidence that your brain activity moves faster. It's more active whenever you're asleep. So, but don't go to sleep to check that out, at least not until this afternoon when you take your nap. I had no idea about this. But human bodies emit light. Human bodies, they're bioluminescent, I guess is the word, and they emit light. 
but is so dim that the naked eye, the, the weak eyes that we have, cannot see that in the dark. But it made me think of Psalm 139 and 10, where David said, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. It made me think about how, what God sees. He's got perfect vision. So he sees the light that an individual gives off anywhere they are at any time. But that's interesting that the body gives off light. The entire surface of your skin replaces itself every month. It made me think of a snake, you know, shedding its skin, which means that we shed a thousand different skins in our life. That's crazy, isn't it? You know, the, there's constantly things you can't see when you rub your hand or when you just move about. You know, there's, there's flakes of your skin coming off. That's amazing. I mean, you would think if, if that didn't replace itself, you'd just be bones, you know? And then amazingly, the only muscle, the only muscle that never tires in your body, as you guessed it, is your heart. It never tires. You know, you can maybe go run or walk or work out or, you know, have some kind of strenuous work or exercise and, and you're tired, you know, but your heart never tires. That's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. You know, it makes you wonder why. <laughs> How could it be that I am so fearfully and wonderfully made that my heart muscle never tires? Now, it, it will give out one day and it will stop, but it never tires. Your heart also, if you live an average lifespan of 70 years, it will beat about 2.5 billion times. Don't start now at your age and start counting down how many heartbeats you got left. That's kind of scary. But the body is amazing. Who created the body? The Lord created the body. The body is amazing. It's, it, there's no way that evolution can account for the intricacies and, the, and just those four or five facts that I have given you right there. And there's, there's thousands of other facts. You know, the fact that your skin, if you, if you get burned on one part of your skin and you can have a piece of, another piece of skin grafted to that part and it will grow back in like stitching a piece of clothing... And then the place where you had it grafted from will grow back over. That's amazing. It's amazing. The body is amazing. And don't ever forget that the Lord created the body. It was not a series of billions of years of evolution, of trial and error and all of this. You have to have more faith to believe that than to believe in a creator. So the reason I emphasize the amazing aspects of the body is so that you could see just how amazing the comparison is to the body of Christ. You see, God compares the church of God to a body. So you, you ask the question, you know, who created the human body? Christ. Who created the church body? Christ. Nobody could have come up with that, that type of an organism. Nobody could have come up with that but the Lord Himself. Nobody could have come up with the human body but the Lord Himself. And don't ever forget, He says that man was created in the image of God. It's almost like God stood there. Christ stood there on that day of creation and cast His shadow. I could just see the Lord drawing in the sand an outline of the shadow of Christ. And man was created out of mud, out of dirt of this earth, the dust of this earth. And God breathed into Him the breath of life. That's amazing. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so is the church of God fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't ever forget who created the body of Christ. The same one who created the physical body. So I ask you the question, 
How is your body this morning? Your physical body? Are you weary? Are you tired? Did you get enough sleep last night? Have you had enough food to eat? Have you had your coffee? Are you cranky? Are you groggy? I mean, think about what your body needs in order to survive. Your body needs rest. Your body needs food. Your body needs water. You see, and for the church of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, He is the rest for the body of Christ. He is the food for the body of Christ. He is the water. You remember He called Himself, He said, I am the living water. I am the bread of God. See, those are not just things He just threw out there. That's for the church of God to feast on. And in the New Testament age, the way that we feast on the body of Christ, the way that we feast and eat as a body, the way that we nourish ourselves is through the preaching of the gospel, through the study of the Word of God, through the application of that in our lives, the way we interact with one another as individuals, and the way we pray. It's very simple. It, goes right, it tracks right along with the way that you take care of your body. I've said this before many times, you know, well, God help you if you do, but you don't normally eat 24 hours a day. It's going to be a disaster. You're going to wreck your body if you do that. What do you do? You eat three meals a day, snacks in between. You know, the same thing applies to the spiritual body, your spiritual well-being as a church, as an individual. You know, God doesn't tell you to eat His Word 24 hours a day. You know, eating the Word of God is like a meal for the child of God to nourish the body of the child of God. And we'll spend countless hours, you know, binge-watching stuff, going to sporting events, going to, you know, all, you know, hunting, fishing, all these type of things that we just think that our body has to have, that it nourishes us. But it's not that nourishing, see? It's just something you want to do. But the nourishment of the body is from the Word of God, see? And the Lord doesn't say do it 24 hours a day. Just eat your meal. Eat your meal. Now, along that same line from Ephesians, you see that as he refers to the body of the wife, the body of the, the individual that the husband is supposed to take care of, he makes that comparison to being Christ's wife, Christ's bride. So we talk about a body and we talk about a bride as the church of God. Revelation 21 and 2 is very specific about that. And also verse 9, it speaks of the bride of Christ descending from heaven. It talks about how that will be a, a fullness one day where all of God's children as the bride of Christ will be gathered together. The word bride there in Revelation 21-2, which is very specific, it's the Greek word nymphae, which comes from a word nupto, which comes from the Latin word nuptials. Y'all know what that is. You come together when somebody's married and they say they're nuptials. So that's what a bride, that's the meaning of the word of a bride. It means to marry. So I ask the question, and we go all the way back to the first book of the Word of God. Who established the ordinance of marriage? It was God. Who created the body? God created the body. Who established the ordinance of marriage? God did that in the Garden of Eden. If you want to turn over to Genesis, the second chapter. I've read it a lot. I'm sure maybe you've read it a lot, but I just never grow tired of reading back over the incredible language there in Genesis 2, in verse 18 on down. Genesis 2 and 18, as the Lord establishes the ordinance of marriage, 
The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Now, if I could just stretch that out just a little bit and let's talk about Christ and his bride. In a sense, you might could think about it like this. The Lord said in the, in the uh, halls of eternity, it is not good that my son should be alone. And I will make him a bride for him. Now, why did he have to make him a bride? Number one, there's nobody that can, pair, that can compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody. And Adam fell in the Garden of Eden and sin came upon mankind. And so the bride of Christ, those people of God that descend from Adam, they are marred by sin. They're not perfect. They're not even close to perfect. And they're not holy. So the Lord says, I will make a bride holy. There's a very specific way that that has to happen. So the Lord in this, right here in the dawn of time... He says, from a physical standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, he said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. So I will make him. So where'd the bride come from? Are y'all with me this morning? You're not checking out your brain activity while you're asleep, are you? <laughs> um, where did the bride come from? God made him a bride. And then he goes on and talks about how the, Adam named the beasts of the field and so forth. And go down to verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. You know, that tells me that God, with, with God, anything is possible. You know, if God can take something as jagged and ugly and pointed as a rib and turn it into something as beautiful as Eve, you know, with God, nothing is impossible. Maybe you think about yourself. And how in your life the Lord has changed you and given you life and given you spiritual life and hope and direction and taken something that maybe was ugly, that was ugly in your sins and turned you into something beautiful and handsome from a spiritual standpoint. God took just an old rib, an old bone out of Adam and He turned it into this beautiful creation that I've joked and said before, you know that when... The reason she's called woman is because Adam looked at her and he said, whoa, man, <laughs> woman. She was beautiful and she was perfect for him. And don't ever forget this. At this point, she is without sin and he is too. The rib which God took out from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, Adam woke up from his surgery and he looked upon Eve and he, he said, this is now. This, at last, this is now bone of my bones. She came out of me and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. If you notice back up in verse 22, it says that the Lord brought her unto the man. The, the word brought, the definition of that word means to fill an empty space. Remember the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And to fill the empty space that God said was there with the man, He created a wife for him. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't just mention as a side note. You know, this for, for us today in this fallen world where everybody is a sinner, it does not mean that, you know, out of the, your rib, young men, it doesn't mean out of your rib that, you know, God is going to create a perfect 
woman or perfect bride for you. That, that's not possible. But it does teach us a valuable spiritual lesson that we should look to God in those matters. M male or female, man or woman, looking for a spouse. God has the answers in those matters. And as I've said time and time again, if you're looking for a spouse and you're looking for that person, it's incumbent upon you to be what you are looking for. You say, I want to find a, a godly church-going young man or young woman to marry one day. Then be that person. You know, don't go down to the bars and go down to the places of ill repute. Don't go there searching for a spouse. Be the person that you're looking for. Take a, you say, well, I want one who is, is funny. Well, learn how to be funny yourself. You say, well, I want a friendly spouse. Well, be friendly yourself, you see. Live out those characteristics. Because in the dawn of time, God created a perfect spouse for Adam. So who established the ordinance of marriage? God did. He brought her to Adam and she filled the empty space that God said was there. And I'm telling you, a bride, that bride, a bride, and the bride of Christ is something special. It's something special. Maybe those of you who are married, think back to your own experience. You men, think back. You husbands, think back to the day that you were married. I hope you have these kind of thoughts. I know my thoughts, my own personal thoughts, that's one of the best days of my life. One of the most glorious experiences that I've ever had. I'll never forget. It sounds trite, but, but I mean it. I'm for real. You know, I'll never forget looking down the aisle and standing there next to my dad and the doors open and there's the bride that I believe God had, had blessed me to find. You know, a bride is something special. Isn't it sad today to see how the ordinance of marriage is so disregarded and disrespected you know it's just nothing anymore but in the eyes of God that first bride was something special because he made her and in the eyes of God the church of God the bride of Christ is something very special because he made her so do you see the bride of Christ as something special and let me tell you a bride needs her husband you understand that how can a bride be a bride without her husband? There's been a few times through the years when I've, had, I've taken extended trips. I learned early on that if I was going to go on a preaching trip somewhere, I went a few times just me, and I was very lonely. And so I made the choice early on that wherever I go and whatever I do, if it's at all possible, even if it, even if it costs me, <laughs> I'm going to take my family with me to the best that I can. If one or two can go and bless the kids' heart a few times. It was just one or two of them. They were probably bored, but I'd try to take them with me. But there's been a few times when I couldn't take them with me, like going to Africa, you know, two-week trip, you know, 10-day trip or whatever. And when I'm away like that, I just don't feel like myself. And I would trust if you ask Sister Tracy, you know, that's not a norm to be away from each other. The bride needs her husband. The husband needs the bride. You see? It's mutual. For the church of God, the church of God, the bride of Christ, needs her husband. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. A bride needs her husband. So if you think about the flow of that, how 
You have to have a body in order to be a bride. You know, and of course, you have to have two people to go from being a single to two, two individuals who are now married and become one, as the Word of God says. You know, what does that lead to? You go from a single body, then you go to a bride, and then you go to what? A family. You see how that goes together? You have to have a body. You have to have a bride, a husband, a wife, and that leads to a family. So I ask the question again, who created the first family? You know, that speaks directly to government. You understand that? The first government, the first form of governing jurisdiction, authority, was set up by God Himself, and it was the family. It was not a republic or a democracy or a dictatorship. It was the family. And I tell you, listen to me, if it were just up to God's people, you know, in a utopia, in a perfect world, as this world was perfect, innocent, before sin, if it was just up to God's people, in one sense, and I'm not an anarchist, I'm not talking about anarchy, but in one sense, you don't even have to have a government to govern yourself as families. You see, our government is so huge and so big and so bogged down with things that should never be involved with. And the families of God are the original. The family is the original government that God created. And before sin, it could govern itself very well. You know why? Because they walked with God. Now, even after sin, praise God, there's hope for self-governance. There's hope for the original form of government, which is family. And can we agree that the most attacked form of governing today is the family? You see? That's the most attacked form of governing today. But if all of the governments on the face of the earth, from the republics to the democracies to the dictatorships, if they just fell off into oblivion, I'm telling you, the family is still God's original form of governing. Now look, that doesn't mean that there's other forms that can help and work. Because God Himself, you know, at one point set up the Mosaic Law to govern His nation of Israel. You see, so it doesn't mean that all of it is, is not possible or not usable. But don't ever forget that the original building block of society is the government of the family. Moms, dads, you're not dictators, although your children probably think you are at times. <laughs> I thought the same thing. You're not dictators, but you're agents, agents of God to see that your house is run and directed in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if every family, every Christian family on the face of the earth would engage in that, I'm telling you, you see revival like you've never seen it since the days of Christ. Let's pray that could happen. But it's going to take us remembering who created the family. It was God. God created the family. The definition, and this is in Ephesians, back in Ephesians, the third chapter. There's a reference to God's people as the family and to the church as a family. Let's look at Ephesians 3 and 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now track the language and watch. That He would grant you here, now, Bethlehem, today, in this time, 
according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints something basically that is incomprehensible. What is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That's a place where the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is waxing eloquent. He's basically saying to be able to comprehend the, the, the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of the love of Christ, the best way to do that is to position yourself in the body of Christ, in the visible bride of Christ, in the family of God, in the church of God. Those are all references to the church of God. That's the best way to be able to see this glory. So who created the family? God created the family. Genesis, the second chapter. We, we look back there. You don't have to turn back there, but a lot went down in Genesis, the second chapter. God created the bride. God brought her to the man, Adam. And Adam acknowledged this great blessing in his innocence. God has created the bride God has created the body and God has created His own family. You see, the Lord said it is not good that the man, Christ Jesus, should be alone. He's going to have a family. He's going to have a bride. And you are that family, child of God. You're part of that family. You're part of that bride. You're part of that body. What does a family need? You know, a body is something special. We already looked at those examples of how special. A bride is something special. Anything created of God is special, right? A family is something special, is it not? You know, I don't want to go all nostalgic on you, but maybe you can think back. Maybe you don't have fond memories of family. You know, maybe you do. But God designed the family to be something special. And I think back in years gone by, especially around the Christmas season, well, we had so many family get-togethers, and I enjoyed seeing so many different... Now, there was a few that I didn't enjoy seeing, but a few that picked at me when I was a kid. But, you know, for the most part, you enjoyed seeing everyone. And, and I look back now at 52 years old, and I think to myself, you know, where did the time go? How special those individuals were, and they have passed from the scene. That part of my physical family has gone on, and they're somewhere else. But praise be to God, because of what I'm preaching to you here today, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of Christ, I'm going to see them again, and it's going to be a part of a much larger family. It's not going to be a natural blood kin related family. It's going to be a spiritual blood of Christ adopted family. You see? And I'll see them again. And we were just talking here recently, you know, 2020. The first 15 minutes of 2020 uh, was when my dad passed away. And it seems like ages ago. <laughs> and I, I've joked since that time and said, boy, if you were going to pick a year to go, he picked a fine year to get out of here. <laughs> he, he said, I'm done with this. I'm flying away. I'm gone. I don't have to see all this mess of 2020, <laughs> which is like a blur in all of our minds. 
But I miss my dad. He was very special to me. He was a mentor to me. He was a guide to me. He kept me out of so much trouble, and sometimes he got me out of trouble, you know? My dad was very special to me. And when I count back and I think about how special that family was, you know, it is no more in the sense of the way that it was because he's gone. You know, a family is something special. And you know, if that's all I had, I said, well, that's all I got are my memories and everything from the past is all. That's not all I have because Christ has a body, Christ has a bride, and Christ has a family. I have something even greater to look forward to. You see? But what does a family need? What is the need of the family today in general, physically, spiritually, emotionally, in our nation? The family needs nurturing and encouragement, doesn't it? There's no institution that's more attacked than the family. And a family needs nurturing and encouragement. You know, it's really weird. Paul said in Ephesians, it's a mystery you know, about the body of Christ the bride of Christ, the wife of Christ, and him being the husband. He said, but I speak to you concerning a mystery. That's a great mystery. But it's also a mystery about how a family, you know, starts. You know, like I remember whenever Sister Tracy and I got married, and we got in the car, and we left, and we drove away, and I was, in my mind, you know, I was, I was thinking, this is weird. <laughs> and I don't mean she was weird. But I was just like, this is a whole different level. This is a whole different feeling right here. I mean, it's, it's the two of us. And from here on out to the end of our lives, it's just the two of us. You know, this is a unique, strange mystery that two people could be separate and apart one day. And because they come together before God and they say their nuptials, they say their, their vows, the bride comes to the bridegroom. And before God and man, they say, we commit to one another. We commit to God. And then there's something mysterious about that. See? As we were driving away, I, you know, I was thinking, this is very mysterious. I, you know, I still feel that way. I think it's, it's mysterious that for 27 years, you know, we, we haven't been two individual people. We are now one. You know, that's what God intends for the marriage relationship. It's a mystery. See? And then on top of that, a few years goes by, and here comes these little, little pitter-patter of little feet, you know, scurrying across the kitchen floor. <laughs> and I look at that. I remember looking at that and go, this is a mystery. How did we go from two to three? This is just crazy how this, this happens, you know? And then next thing you know, there's five. <laughs> it's just a mystery. What a blessing. What an amazing experience in life. And then, you know, for us today, it's a times infinite mystery. And I think now I'm an old grandpa. <laughs> you know, my one daughter's married, two little boys. I'm thinking 27 years ago, it just seems like I was driving away going, this is weird. <laughs> this is 10 times weirder. You know, marriage, the family, it's a mystery. How do we move forward? You look up one day, you take assessment after a year, two, five years, 10 years. You think, how did I get here? It's amazing. And think about the church of God, the family of God. You know, I look back on this family here that has grown so amazingly. And I think about being over there years ago and it was so few people and most of them were elderly people. And I thought, you know, does God want this body to grow? Does He want this visible bride here locally to grow? And you're living proof of that. That's a mystery to me. 20 plus years ago that we would go from that small number to what we see today. And what does the family of God need? They need nurturing and encouragement. And that's what you ought to expect from the pulpit. 
And that's what you ought to give to one another. Nurturing and encouragement. You might have to rebuke one another from time to time. That happens in in a family, doesn't it? You know, there's been a time or two, and I won't embarrass my kids, but, you know, I had to do a little rebuking of, of, of some of them, all of them, at different times. A little discipline, you know. You can't do this, you can't do that. You know, you, you, you know, you can't pull your sister's hair, and you can't, you know, sister can't slap your sister. You know, all the little things that kids do. You know, and, and, but they still, over all of that, they needed nurturing and encouragement. Don't ever forget that, moms and dads. The key... To being a godly parent is nurturing and encouragement. Yeah, you got to discipline. Sometimes you got to use the rod, but it's nurturing and encouragement. You want to know how the family of God grows, how it increases in strength and in its muscles and its foundation and its abilities? It's through nurturing and encouragement from the pulpit, but look around you. You're the family of God. Nurture and encourage one another. How would you like it if I didn't? How would you like that? You say, oh, Brother Tim, I just had this, I just had this, you know, terrible tragedy occur, or this, you know, I was just sick and I'm just just now recovering. I mean, that's not a big deal. <laughs> I mean, people get sick every day. What's your problem? Toughen up, move along. <laughs> How would you like that? If that's what you got from me or from Brother Luke. Man up, woman up, get over it, move forward. That's real nurturing, isn't it? Look around you at the body that God created. Look around you at the bride, the visible bride that that you are a part of. Look at the family of God and nurture and encourage one another. You say, well, I just hadn't been in the practice of doing that. Well, it's time to start practicing. It's a new year. That can be your resolution. I resolve... I'm not going to make you, make you raise your right hand because I don't want some of you to lie now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to make you raise your right hand, but you ought to think in your mind and your heart of hearts, I resolved this year to nurture and to encourage the bride of Christ. You say, what, but, but, but wait a minute, old so-and-so over there, you know, they said something to me, they looked at me the wrong way, you know, they, they didn't acknowledge me or something like that, you know, and, and you may say, well, I, I don't really, look, you got to get over that because we're talking about the bride of Christ. You got to look past the warts and the pimples. You got to look past the scars and all of the problems. You got to look past that and look to this mystery that I speak of that God created the body, God created the bride, God created his family. You got to get over that. How do I interact with you? I'm not perfect, but I feel the weight and the burden of what God has called me to do to treat you as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. He belo- you belong to Him, not to me. As the family of God. And don't come up to me after it's over and say, well, Brother Tim, if I knew as much as you knew, then I'd treat people differently. Oh, that's not going to happen. That's not, you're not going to trick me. Look at each other through the mystery of God's creation. You've got a body, you've got a bride, and you've got a family. And you know what all this points to? Revelation is the 19th chapter, the 7th verse. This all points to a wedding feast, a wedding ceremony. 
Revelation 19 and 7, as we close our thoughts, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, Christ, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is, is the righteousness of the saints. And He saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Don't ever forget, child of God, that it's the Lord who created the body. The first physical body that was created was Adam. God created it in the image of God. Don't ever forget that the Lord has created the bride. And the first physical bride that was ever created that God said would fill the gap that was there in Adam's life was created by God. And don't ever forget that the first family that was instituted before there was sin on this planet, that the Lord God Himself created the governing body of the family. And in an infinitely more mysterious and greater way, God's Son has created His body of saved children. He's created His bride that He will be married to one day. And from the body and from the bride comes a family, you see? But our God, where it says, where it says that she hath made herself ready. You see that? In Revelation 19 where it says the wife, the bride has made herself ready. Let me tell you how that happened. Christ made her ready. Because in order to purify His people, in order to purify His bride, Christ had to take His righteousness because she had none. You had none, I had none. And He had to take that and impose that upon her to make her ready. And therefore, He is able to present her to Himself as a glorious, pure, and perfect, holy bride because His glory, His purity, and His holiness is imposed upon her through His sacrifice. How is your body? Let me tell you what Christ did. Christ used His body and wrecked His own body so that He would have you in His body as His children. Christ went to the lengths that we cannot comprehend. The length, the breadth, the depth, the height of the, of the love of God in order to purify His bride. He took His own righteousness and imposed it upon His children. And He took their sins and their ugliness and their unholiness and unrighteousness upon Himself as a husband and He purified the bride. So one day when we get to heaven and you see all of God's children scurrying around, I don't mean little bitty fellows, but it makes me think all of God's children scurrying around heaven and He's sitting there and He's smiling and He's looking. We've just enjoyed the feast of the marriage supper of the Lamb and He's looking and He's saying, Behold, my children. They're not natural flesh and blood children because Adam messed that up. But they are adopted they are blood bought by the Son of God, the great husband. So in 2024, as we go forward, would you think about that? You didn't come up with your body. Christ, the Lord, made the first body. You didn't come up with the church body, and neither did I. You didn't come up with the idea of a bride. God came up with that. And you didn't come up with the idea that God, the Son of God, the husband, the great super husband, is going to marry his bride one day. God came up with that. And you didn't come up with the idea that, well, I think family is the best way 
for a form of government. God came up with that, and that's going to be the form of government that lasts all the way into eternity. So look around you. How are you taking care of your body? And I mean the church of God. How are you taking care of the bride of Christ? She needs her husband. She won't be what she's supposed to be without her husband. How are you taking care of the family of God? To nurture and to encourage one another. That's not just left up to the preacher. That's left up to the individual parts of the body that function as the bride that make up the family of God. And don't forget, it's all by the grace and mercy of God that you're even part of the body, that you're part of the bride, and that you're part of the family of God. May the Lord bless you, is my prayer.